0: Our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, reigns. Because of that, I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 10. And when you find that, please stand with me to read God's Word. We have been in Matthew, back the end of Matthew chapter 9, all the way now through the middle of chapter 10. And today what we're going to see is that Jesus is calling for courage on the part of His apostles, His sent ones and all subsequent followers, including those among us who believe, as we navigate life on this fallen planet. It is a call from the Lord Jesus Christ to get out of our idealistic comfort zone and into the realistic danger zone of courageous witness for Christ, and we're going to see that in Matthew 10, verses 24 through 33 today. So let's read. These are the words of Jesus. are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Lord God, we thank you that we have the freedom to open up our Bibles today and to to read your, your perfect and holy and inerrant word. Thank you, Lord, that it is from you to us. Thank you, Lord, that you give us comfort and assurance and confidence to not fear even in the midst of impending danger. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one who sends and you are the one who protects as we go. And you are the one who will ensure the outcome. We pray, Lord, as we open up your word today and we, and we consider these truths that you would change us, that you would do your work in us by your spirit and through your word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, I never, I never ask you to sit down, but I figure if you want to stand, have at it. We're in the context uh, of Jesus sending his followers out into a hostile world. And let's just do a bit of review. Some of you have been with us as we've been going through this this, uh, series within a series in Matthew. But for those who haven't and for those who have, first of all, in Matthew chapter 9 and verses 35 through 38, we saw what Jesus was doing and how he responded to the people which revealed the compassion of Christ, which must motivate our mission-mindedness and our, and our going and our activity. In Matthew 10, verses 1 through 4, we, we see the 12 apostles identified by Jesus. Jesus called them, he chose them, and he, before he sends them, then now he teaches them, he instructs them to do what he's been doing, preaching and healing and raising and and casting demons out. And that reveals to us the character of God displayed in and through His chosen ones in order to make the gospel attractive to those who will believe. Last week in Matthew 10, verses 16 through 23, it dealt with longer-term issues. Before, He was dealing with the short-term mission to Israel in 5 through 15, he was giving travel instructions to his twelve apostles, and now in, in uh, last week we saw that in verses sixteen through twenty-three he was dealing with longer-term issues. It was re- reaching past the, the the crucifixion and the resurrection into the New Testament church and and beyond, even to us today, and to the church until Christ returns. And it reveals trouble instructions from Christ to his sent ones. Reveals the caution that we're to exercise as we go. And Jesus gave three assurances that we saw last week. First, he said, don't be surprised. Persecution will come. We need to preach accurately and realistically, not tell people it's going to be a bed of roses, but it will be tough to follow Christ. And so don't be surprised. Persecution will come. And don't be anxious because the Spirit is going to help you. You don't have to worry about what you're going to say. The Spirit is going to speak through you and then he says be assured as you patiently endure it's going to come upon you be assured because I'm going to return in his perfect time he would return after securing salvation for his chosen ones he will come again in blessing for believers in judgment for those who reject him and now today we come to verses 24 through 33 and and Jesus is giving a call to courage. And it, it might seem very familiar or similar to last week in, in the sense that he had told them not to be anxious. But, but this is different. This is different because what Jesus is doing now in, in the process of instructing the 12, and these, were, these are personal words for the 12, but now when he, he's branching out, and now this is going to us as well. For his larger mission, his larger salvation program in the world and this is different because he gives a call to courage in light of the fear that he knew that they and, and we would be tempted to have. There was this persecution coming, and they would have this tendency to fear. So he says, "No less than three times, do not fear." Jesus calls his followers to courageous trust and action as opposed to fear. Fear is the Greek word phobeo. It's where we get our word phobia from. And it means to cause to run away. It means to to terrify, to frighten. So Jesus says in light of the impending persecution, don't be terrified, don't be frightened. There is ample reason for courage. There is ample reason for courage. For faith. Now Jesus doesn't just tell his people what to do. Like don't be afraid. You know. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And and deal with it. Which we often will do. With our kids. You know. Hey don't worry about that. You know. Well wait a minute. (laughs) Tell me how not to. You know. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't tell his people not to fear. Just that. He gives the reasons. And the resources not to fear. Jesus gives his followers courage. He doesn't just tell them. Hey. Don't fear. He gives them courage. And courage is the absence of fear. Courage is the opposite of fear. It's the presence of boldness, boldness. What we have in verses 24 through 33 is what Christ people need courage to do, and why. What do we need courage to do, and why? It's not just this blanket. Be courageous or do not fear. Jesus was very specific when he said, don't fear. It was because of this, don't fear. And here's what you'll be able to do. So let's look at it. The first thing we see, it's in verses 24 to 26. And we need courage to accept persecution because Christ suffered for us. We need courage to accept persecution because Christ suffered in the flesh on our behalf. We need to withstand the onslaught of wicked men knowing Jesus took the full brunt of sin upon himself. Basically that Jesus has suffered ahead of us. He's saying to them, I've suffered ahead of time for you. I've, I, I'm in the midst of it. In fact, as he said this, he had still not gone to the cross, but he had suffered. Verse 24, he says, it is enough. It is enough. Verse 25, excuse me. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. He says, a, a disciple, verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. These are, these are things everyone would know. It's, it's obvious. But he says, it is enough, verse 25, for the disciple to be like his teacher. The disciple will, the, the, the pupil will become like the instructor. And, and, and it's enough for the servant to be like his master. He says if they called the master of the house beelzebul the head of the house the lord of the household the one who governs the one who manages the daily affairs of the household has been called beelzebul we don't even like to say that word this week we were reading this passage in staff and we had we didn't want to do it you know we don't want to read that word it's Ah, you know, you gotta wash your hands after you read that word. Beelzebul, It's a, a there's a dubious background of, for that word, but it could mean the Lord of the Flies. It could mean uh, the Lord of Demons. Uh, the idea is this: that he's saying they've called me the head of the household of demons. That's what Jesus is saying, uh, and it just happened in chapter nine and verse thirty-four. The Pharisees said. He cast out demons by the prince of demons. See, this had just happened, and it was a shockingly vile and vicious assault on him. It was an insult. So the real head of the house, Jesus Christ, the the Lord Jesus Christ, who heads up God's household, was willfully called the head of the house of demons. And worse would happen to Jesus... The worst sin ever committed would be perpetrated on him, the cross, for the glory of God and the good of those he would save. And Jesus is saying, look, if they've called me this, how much more the members of my household, the members of his household, God's household, could expect the same. I'll tell you, these two verses ought to challenge us who claim to, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. If I took a show of hands right now, I'd say, Who here serves the Lord Jesus Christ? And most of you would raise your hands. And tomorrow morning, let's just say that there would be a a roll call of those who serve the Lord Jesus Christ where you spend Monday mornings. How many of you would raise your hands? This ought to be challenging to us who claim to serve Christ. What treatment do we expect out in the world? not here in church we expect to be loved here at church because we are to love one another can't expect unbelievers to act like believers so when you're out there what treatment do you expect and do you hesitate to stand too firmly for christ out of fear of persecution out of fear of of losing something embarrassment or being rejected do you compromise and form alliances with the world to avoid being treated like jesus was treated verse 26 jesus says so have no fear of them who's them them are the persecutors uh them are those that the jews and the gentiles who would persecute them now this conclusion might seem a bit out of place for some of us i mean think about it if you would say hey by the way you say to uh, a group of people that you're leading let's say it's your i don't know football team soccer team family uh your, your workplace, whatever, and you're talking to them about there's some opposition and you're, we're working here and, and, uh, and it, I don't know if I would say now don't fear them. I, I might say be tough against them. Fight hard against them. Push back. Here's what Jesus says. Do not fear them, which might seem out of place for us. It is only natural for us to fear and especially because Jesus had just said they're going to kill some of you. They're going to throw some of you in jail. Some of you will be beaten unmercifully because of me. So it's only natural for for them to fear those who, who might beat and kill them. But the reason Jesus says what he says is because he is preparing them for hard times by getting them to focus on the ultimate conclusion, the ultimate outcome. Stay focused on what God will do and fear can be eliminated. Fear is presented here in comparison to God's authority. Jesus is prohibiting fear in his disciples. He's literally saying, you are not to fear. The reason is this. Uh, For, he says, because everything covered will be revealed. He says, nothing that is covered, there is nothing that is covered that will not be revealed. Do not neglect the fact that You will be hated and rejected and treated violently and don't let that lead you to fear. You can have comfort and confidence in the fact that you will ultimately be victorious. And and think about this. They could not see it in the middle of the battle as they were getting beaten or even as they were being killed. They couldn't see the end result, nor can we, because the world's resistance to the gospel clouds the truth that will one day be revealed. So those who perpetrate evil against them that's going to be revealed and the truth that they're clinging to is going to be revealed and your courage and your faithfulness will be brought to light jesus says so jesus wants to encourage his disciples he wants to give courage to his followers who feel who might be tempted to feel deserted and alone when 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 persecution comes he's basically saying don't stop working though your motives might be questioned don't stop working, though your character might be assaulted. Don't stop working, though you might be misunderstood. The judge will return. All things will be put right. The faithful will be recognized and be justified before all those who have slandered and persecuted them. So stand firm. God is sovereign. He is going to put right all things on the final day. So, the first thing that we need to know is that we need to accept persecution because Christ suffered for us. Next, we see in verses 27 and 28 something else we're to have courage to do. We're to have courage to preach Christ boldly. Preach Christ boldly, fearing God rather than men. Fear God rather than men because man can destroy bodies, but God is the only one who can destroy souls in hell. Verse 27. It's an exhortation to fulfill their mission. Jesus will privately and personally teach his people. He says, what I tell you, verse 27, what I tell you in the dark, in private, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, even in this room, proclaim on the housetops. Roofs in Palestine were flat, making them great places to give news out and to... uh, A great vantage point for getting the news uh, out to a lot of people. God's salvation program was, was continuing in the remote in that remote part of the world without fanfare or apparent success, but with the presentation of the Messiah to Israel and their rejection of him. They were to fully preach what Jesus gave them to preach. They were to preach the whole counsel of God, even though at this point they didn't fully understand the message they were given to preach. They didn't fully understand the full implications and ramifications of that message. They were not to despise the day of small things and small beginnings, but they were just to do what they were called to do. Verse 28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What does that mean? By the way, this could indicate, as he says, do not fear, this could indicate, the way he he said it, that he was aware of a growing fear that was present in them right then. He had already said, do not fear, once, and now he says, do not fear. And that's comfort for us. that, That God sees us, that God knows us, that he knows what we're going through, and he supplies what we need. Especially, he says, since you're feeling it right now, and the world thinks that killing the body is the worst thing That can happen Not so The soul, not the body Is the essence of life Therefore fear is necessary With regard to the one who has power Over the body and the soul God Kind of an obvious point there He has absolute power and authority As opposed to human authorities That can only kill your body They can't kill your soul Destroy here means to bring to ruin To put to death It doesn't mean annihilation. It's eternal punishment in Gehenna, in in hell. Gehenna of fire, the valley of Hinnom, which burned continually. Both soul and body are killed but not annihilated in hell. Luke 12, 5 says, Fear the one who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. It's this fear or reverence that should be shown to the one having greater authority, which is God himself implying not that Christ's servants should fear going to hell, but that they have no need to fear men, whose power is limited to the physical. So they were to be courageous in fulfilling their mission. They were to tell the whole truth and not soft-pedal it to to get out of of some kind of punishment or soft-pedal it out of fear. The fear of man prevents preaching Christ boldly. John chapter 7. Interesting thing happened there. His disciples had gone to the Feasts of Booths. He had gone up as well, and there was a lot of speculation about who Jesus was. Some said he's a really good man. Others said he's leading people astray. Kind of like he's in in league with Satan. The idea of calling the head of the house Beelzebul. And and it says in John 7, verses 10 through 13, it says, And yet for fear of the Jews... No one spoke openly of him. They were afraid. In in John 12, in verses 42 and 43, it said that many authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they would not confess it. They would not admit it. Fearing that they'd be put out of the synagogue, that they wouldn't have synagogue privileges anymore. Because it says that they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And what Jesus is basically saying here is, fearing man is needless. Fearing God is necessary. Truth will reign. God will supply. So stand boldly and deliver the truth in hostile and friendly-looking environments, knowing that God is in control. Now, Jesus gives another reason for courage. Besides the fact that we can fear God rather than men because God is greater, in 29 through 31, we see not only that God is more powerful and authoritative than those who persecute them, but that he cares for those who serve him. We need courage, therefore, to trust God's providential care and not man's premature conclusions. Trust God's providential care and not man's premature conclusions. Because only God gives life and eternal life. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. God assigns true value. Verse 29 we read, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? It's the birds. Little birds. And birds held little value in the marketplace in those days. People would ignore them. They were insignificant to them. Actually, sparrows were eaten by the poor people. I don't know how much meat you can get off a sparrow, but uh, not a lot. For a penny, what do you expect, right? But Jesus is saying, hey, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Verse 29. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. They fall to the ground when they die. God cares, sees, even when one sparrow dies. He takes notice of them and knows when each one dies. He is concerned with and actively engaged with every part of his creation. It's a good thing. Motivation to respect all life God has created. And if God cares even for the smallest and seemingly most insignificant creatures, how much more does he care for us created in his image? How much more? Especially those who belong to him by grace through faith in Christ verse 30 he says even the hairs on your head are numbered now most preachers that are bald make a big deal about that but I won't God cares and God knows okay some of my hairs are turning gray but I I cut those off and pull those out so verse 31 he says do not fear you are of more value than many sparrows a big pile of sparrows. You're better than that. You're more significant than that. You're of greater importance to God than many sparrows. But, but we all know that in, in where we live, man says we are not as valuable as some birds. How many people would fight to the death for an endangered species, quote unquote, due to how valuable they consider them, How protected they are by the law and how many step aside and watch babies killed every day. By those whose sovereignty over their lives they respect more than God's. God says human beings are of far more value and significant than animals because we are made in His image. You can take that to the bank because God Cares for you First Peter 5 7 says cast all your anxieties upon him cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you he cares for you some might tell them and they might be tempted to believe that God is not good That he has forgotten about them. That he is not concerned about their welfare. That he has left them hanging, hung them out to dry, thrown them under the bus. Sent them out and let them get pummeled and thrashed by the opponents. Let's see what Paul said. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 9 through 13. Paul says, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles Uh, Sent ones, as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands when reviled we bless when persecuted we endure when slandered we entreat we have become and still are like the scum of the world the refuse of all things and he says I do not write these things to make you ashamed but to admonish you as my beloved children Second Corinthians chapter four. Verses seven through 11. Paul says, "But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed but not given to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. And then in chapter 6, in verse 4, he says, As servants of, of, of God, we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. What he's saying is all these things are coming upon us, but look what we have. We got the Holy Spirit. We've got knowledge, we've got patience, we've got kindness, we've got genuine love, we've got truthful speech, we've got the power of God. We've got the weapons of righteousness on the, for the right hand and the left. So he's able to say, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet true. As unknown and yet well-known, as dying and yet behold, we live as punished and not yet killed and yet not killed as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor yet making many rich as having nothing yet possessing everything he's showing the seen and the unseen in contrast in saying you don't see it but we've got it so what we've got to do is not bank on man's valuation God gives life and he is the supreme valuer of it his apostles will be tested his People would be tested. We will be tested. You will be tested. And the Spirit will bring to your mind everything Jesus told you and everything you have in the Word, and you can trust in God's providential care and not man's premature conclusions of what's going on. One more thing. Verses 32 and 33. Jesus says, So... Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Some people are shaking in their boots. We need courage to faithfully acknowledge Christ because God is faithful. He says, everyone who shall confess me. And this is one of the reasons why you know this is for us too, not just the 12 apostles. He says, everyone who does this. What were they going to take with them? What were they going to shout from the rooftops? Everything he's giving them, including these words. Everyone who shall confess me. This is an Aramaic idiom. It's a figure of speech. It's not Hebrew. And it means confess in me. It indicates a sense of unity with Christ and of Christ with the person who takes a courageous stand for him. So the question comes, what if in a moment of weakness you deny that you're a Christian? Does this verse apply to you? Well, let's see. Will you be denied by Jesus if in a moment of weakness you deny that you belong to him? Let's think if we can think of anyone in the Bible who might have done that. Hmm, Peter. Let's think of Peter. Peter denied knowing Jesus and and, and what happened to him? He was, he was reinstated after questioning and reinstated after being reassured by Jesus. He was, he was recommissioned in, in Christ's service. It's good news for us who in moments of weakness may be cowards. You see him on the day of Pentecost preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. Courageous trust in the midst of persecution and opposition deny here the key here is the word deny confess and deny but deny here is a total rejection of Jesus a total refusal to believe and be saved it is a continual denial of Christ as the pattern and the revealed position of a person's soul deny is saying no to Jesus it's a complete breach it's a complete rejection and it's public and final Christians can take cur- can take comfort in this. By his doing you are in Christ and by his doing you will remain in Christ. And the Holy Spirit enables faithful acknowledgment of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12:3 says no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 1 John 2:23 says no one who denies the son has the father. Whoever confesses the son has the father also. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Faithful acknowledgement of Christ is proof of saving faith. Romans chapter 10 and verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Persecution should not prevent faithfully acknowledging Christ. Mark 8.35 says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. 2 Timothy 2.12 says this, and it was an early Christian song that they sang, a hymn. And part of it, one line was, if we deny him, he also will deny us. The confession of Christ is the normal answer of a newborn soul to God. First Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to make a defense to everyone who asks for the hope that is, that is within you. It is out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, that the mouth speaks. So we give evidence of the reality of our faith by the words that we say... So even in in light of 1 Peter 3.15, if someone asks or even demands to know where our trust and allegiance lies, tell them. Tell them. Let's wrap this up. I'm getting sweaty. I know, I wore a jacket. It's the wedding day. Come on, I gotta wear a jacket. I could have taken it off, I know. Be comforted. Be comforted, do not fear. Be comforted if you are prone to discouragement. Many of you are. Many of you are prone to get discouraged. Be comforted if you lack courage. Be be comforted if you are in need of encouragement. But also be challenged, be exhorted by our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus' words to his 12 apostles in these verses that we look at today are truly a call to get out of our our idealistic comfort zone and into the realistic danger zone of courageous witness for Christ. You could call it a loving shove out of the nest. Jesus bursting their self-protective bubble. It would get messy before it got glorious. Peace and joy would accompany them in the pain that they would encounter that would be inflicted upon them, but it wasn't going to be a bed of roses. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But until then, it will get tougher before it gets easier. So we need encouragement. And think about this for a moment with me. Preaching the gospel to ourselves, and to our households, and to our loved ones, and and to all who come in contact with is the calling of every born-again Christian. So that every day is a missionary trip. I hope if you've come with us this far in this series, you don't think of missions as somewhere else primarily. That you think of it as all the time the word missions comes from the latin word missio which means sent sent we are sent and and so every day is a missionary trip calling for courage built on compassion and god's calling and his character and the caution that he asks us to display And courage can be seen in every area of life because Jesus and the gospel applies to every area of life. Courage is presently in short supply among many so-called Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, Jesus-loving people. Do not throw away your confidence because it has great reward. Because in a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And so courage, what is courage? Courage is, is being unafraid to speak the truth no matter what the consequences courage is being humbly bold in declaring our our true allegiances courage is standing strong amidst the growing ranks of those who deny that they know Jesus courage is remaining steadfast in the midst of persecution that will come courage is saying no to pressure to conform to convictionless expectations Courage is clinging to the crucified, risen, and soon-to-return Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting His blood-bought sacrifice for your sin. Courage is rejecting self-glory and man-centered pursuits. Courage is being humble when we've sinned and throwing ourselves on God's mercy alone. Courage applies to where you work. So if you're an employee or a boss, courage is reporting the true amount of income and expenses and not cooking the books if asked or expected or tempted. Students, uh, courage uh, also applies to where where you do your studies. Courage is doing your, at least in California, your mandated 20 minutes of reading in class from your Bible app on your phone rather than your Facebook app on your phone. And being unafraid to tell your friends when you do so. And and yes, that is happening in classrooms. I've spoken to a few students recently. It is telling your classmates that what you believe when faith is a topic of conversation. It's standing and delivering when asked. When, when, when it comes around to you And they're looking right at you And they're asking you So tell me, what about you? It's being unafraid to respectfully engage teachers Who, who clearly do not understand Or acknowledge the authority of biblical truth Being courageous also affects Being a neighbor Every one of us lives around someone courage is telling your neighbor you're going to church or bible study when they ask where you're going and that's where you're going don't lie to them courage is inviting them to go with you you got a home bible study courage is inviting your neighbor who you think no one in your bible study would would want to be around to your to your home where your bible study is but they're not a christian well maybe they'll become one if you share the gospel with them you love them and you you get to know them Courage uh, of hits, hits men and, and other heads of households. Because courage is, is things like not saying what you want to say when you're tempted to say it. For the sake of the gospel and the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Courage is, is, is coming home from a long day and, and saying I'm going to serve, I'm going to lay down my life for, for my household even though I, I don't want to. I want to go pop, plop on the couch and on the TV. Courage is opening up your Bible and reading it with your family when you want to do something completely opposite. Courage is engaging in eternally significant activities rather than the ones that entice us like magnets. They they draw us to to them because they're they're so enticing, but they're not good. And I will just say this, uh, sometimes courage can be mistaken for foolishness. People will call you a fool. People will call you crazy. One of history's most famous battles was the Battle of Marathon in in 490 BC. 20,000 Persian infantry and cavalry invaded Greek soil. And the Greeks sent out 10,000 against the 20,000. A a bit outnumbered, wouldn't you say? And, and, And the two armies met on the plain of Marathon, 26 miles from Athens. And one of the Greek generals, um, Miltiades, Miltiades, I knew I was going to pronounce that right, Miltiades made a passionate plea to the other generals that were with him and he convinced them to attack the Persians. 10,000 against 20,000. Miltiades ordered the Greeks to form a line equal in length to that of the Persians and in an act believed to be total madness had his men run at the other army. Run full Full force at the other army and, and attack the Persians while running at them. Now, they were the first of the Greeks to introduce the custom of charging the enemy at a run. We've seen it in Braveheart and other places, right? But, but they were the first ones in recorded history to do that. It was, it was stupid uh, it war tactic to many no one got it. So in the fight, in the melee that that ensued, the the middle of the Greek line weakened and and gave way. But the ends, the flanks, were able to to overtake and defeat the Persians. And even some of the Persians got on their ships and, and tried to go back to Athens, which they thought was unprotected. But the Greeks did a forced march all night long and got back before them and defeated them. But see, they ran at the enemy. The difference for us is that we run with the gospel to those held captive by Satan to do his will in order to bring life to them. Romans 10.15 says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Good news. Courage is running with the good news of the gospel to those headed for hell and destruction and assure Christless eternity unless they repent and believe. And we all know scores of people in that condition. So Jesus commands courage. He won't leave us on our own to get it or to find it. He gives it. He applies it. He strengthens us with it and he restores it in us. So think of someone you've been afraid to share the gospel with. Then call upon the giver of encouragement to boldly proclaim the good news to that person who so desperately needs it. And as you go, don't expect better treatment than Jesus. Accept persecution. Acknowledge Christ. Trust His care. Preach boldly. Fear God. Go courageously knowing that God is sovereign and He is going to work all things out for His glory and our good. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You that You are building a gospel-centered community of those you have chosen and called that proclaims and displays the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God until Christ returns or we go to be with him, whichever comes first. And we'll just admit, Lord, we're weak, but we'll acknowledge that you are strong. And so we trust in you. In Jesus' name.